Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, and the Eagles are coming off a very tough overtime loss down in Dallas as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 158. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell to discuss what we saw from the Eagles in their loss against the Dallas Cowboys. Where does this team go from here as they try and claw their way back into playoff contention? Greg and I will talk about what we saw on film from that game as well as preview next week's opponent in the LA Rams. Next up, we'll transition to my scouting report where I'll go through my notes on one of the wide receivers that's getting a lot of playing time here in Sean McVay's offense and how this projection to the NFL has to take into account the coaching staff and the scheme that he wound up with. But before we get into that, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Greg Cosell this week to discuss the Eagles, the loss in Dallas, and how this team will match up with the Rams on Sunday night. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining us once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, none other than NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell. Greg, week 15, we're on the, uh, the home stretch here of the 2018 regular season. Uh, obviously, the season has not gone according to plan no. from our standpoint, from fan standpoint, from the team standpoint. Let, let's start talking about this game. Uh, just with the offense, because obviously it got started on the right foot. You know, they start moving the ball on that opening drive. You saw four of the first five plays, you know, got positive yards. You saw some runs there. They cross midfield. It stalls out. And you say, all right, well, at least they, they got some things going. The next three and a half quarters, it was, you know, uh, t- very, very tough it to watch. Tough. The, the offense could, could not move the football, not just on the on the ground, but through the air, just could not get anything going. Uh, four three and outs over that span. Then you get to the back end of the fourth quarter. It's twilight hour, and just and like that. a football game broke out. That's just, exactly right. Yeah. A crazy sequence of plays as the, both teams kind of responded with touchdowns tit for tat. But what were the big takeaways after going through the film on Monday compared to what we thought on Sunday? Let me answer that question this way, Fran, because okay. look – Everybody knows, Eagles fans, Eagles coaches, everybody knows that obviously this offense for much of this season has not been consistently sharp and has had some bad moments. That's obvious. But I think you learn when how other teams see your offense, and that tells you about your offense. I've always believed, for instance, that you can tell about a quarterback by how a team uses the quarterback. That mm-hmm. tells you. They're telling you what they think of their own quarterback. Right. So to me, it was truly fascinating to see the Dallas Cowboys on third down go with six defensive backs, dime, and take their best corner, Byron Jones, who's arguably been a top five or six corner in the NFL this year, and play him man-to-man on Zach Ertz. Yep. So we don't have to sit and debate the Eagles wide receivers. The Cowboys have told us that. So we're not interpreting. We don't have to guess. We don't have to say anything negative. The Cowboys have told us that. And I think that in and of itself tells you that there's a talent issue here, number one. Mm. And once you have that issue, 
then I think it becomes somewhat difficult. The game plans have to work around that, and that gets hard when you play good defenses. Yeah, and when you're not executing at a high level like they were were not, I guess, on Sunday, you know, a lot of people get into talking about run-pass ratio and things like that, and I think when you look at this game, it was clear that they went in with the thought that, we're going to try and assert ourselves on the ground. Correct. Four of the first five plays were runs. They got things going. They crossed midfield. Like I said, the drive stalled out. And it's like, okay. That's okay. But then, you know, after that, you had, like I said, you had four three and outs on all four of those three and outs. They ran the ball at least once, and in all th- four of those three and outs, they gained like two, two yards or less. Right. You know, and so when it's first and ten and you go for a one-yard run and now it's an com- incompletion on second down, all of a sudden it's third and nine. And, and then the coaching staff starts to feel like, we're, I'm not going to run the ball. And it's easy to say, well, you have to be balanced and you have to run the ball. Yeah. That's always easy to say. And while there's truth to that as an abstract statement, I think when you're gaining one or two yards and then you feel it's second and eight and you're behind the sticks already, I think it becomes a little more difficult. And the reality is with their pass game, because they truly don't have a vertical dimension, is the pass game is very condensed. So when the pass game is very condensed, the execution has to be perfect. Because ultimately you're throwing four-yard balls, six-yard balls. A big play becomes a 12-yard completion. And it's just so hard to play perfect football for the 12, 13 plays that are required to move the ball 75 or 80 yards. This team is last in the NFL in touchdown passes of 20-plus. They've got three on the season. There you go. Uh, you know, they just have struggled to, to create the big play down the field. They're 18th in 20-plus completions, but when you're talking about the big plays that go for scores, right. they just haven't been able to do it. And like you said, when you are a team that's going to matriculate, which that's fine. If you're going to be efficient, you know, that, that is, that's it's just hard. It's hard. And when it you, hard. you know, we've talked about this in the past, how, you know, this team was one play away. It's not that they're one play away. It's that on so many plays, they're one detail away. You know, it, it's, it's one little miss. It's one missed block. It's, you know, it's uh second and seven on the third drive of the game and they call an RPO and it, it's a fumble, It's a botch snap and Carson drops the ball. It goes up in the air and you know, Corey Clement jumps on it. And it's, right, now right. it's a five yard loss and it's third and 12 and you're right. throwing complete and you're three and out. Like it's, it's stuff like that that just derailed this team time and but time the, again. And the problem becomes is you can't make that up because you're not making any big plays. See teams that get big plays in the pass game, they make the same mistakes, Fran. It, it, what the Eagles are doing is not necessarily – they're not the only team in the league of doing course, this. Yes. But if you then have the ability, as they did a year ago, for whatever reason – They had their, – their conversion rate – do you remember how good they were on 3rd and 11-plus last yeah. year? Their, third, yeah. their conversion rate on 3rd and 11-plus was better than some teams on 3rd down any down. Right, they right. They were at a freakishly high right. rate. You, you're not going to repeat that, but it speaks to how they were able to create those big plays a year right, ago. Right, right. And, and my guess is that most of those conversions came on passes that were thrown beyond 11 yards. They right. were not 3-yard passes and runs. Yeah. So – but so the point I was making is all everything you're saying becomes magnified when you do not have the ability then to to complete 15 18 20 25 yard passes yeah and that's not been happening yeah I mean we talked about that in 2016 when you know you had the the Paul Turners of the world out there you know and guys that were you kind of knew like these guys aren't necessarily in the long term plans and when you are when you play offense that way in terms of you have to kind of chip away. At some point, that catches up with you. At some point, if you're not, if you're not playing at a high level, you have, the more plays you run, the more likely it is until until you run into that next mistake, and that's kind of right. where they're at. So when right Carson now. Wentz misses a throw, that's you know a twenty or twenty-five yard ball in the air throw. Yep. 
it becomes magnified as, well, he's inaccurate. He can't make these throws now. Right. And that's what happens. Right. Because if you don't make them, you don't move the ball at all. He missed some throws last week against Washington. But right. They ran uh, like 75 plays. Right. Plays, right. And so all of a sudden, you know, all missed incompletion down the field isn't as big of a deal. Right. And this week he missed a few and it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny, you know. Ben Fennel and I were talking on uh, you know, early today. We're walk, we're watching through the film, and we had watched the Chicago Bears offense against the LA Rams defense, and similar. Not an exciting fl- watch either, no, by the way. No, that wasn't. But similar <laughs> offensive philosophy, and in know, that game, in yes, that game, right? And you know, they've got they've got a piece in a guy like Tariq Cohen, right? Explosive back, right. one of the most explosive backs in the league. And I think when when people talk about you know that this Eagles offense, and we'll, we'll talk about this as we get into later in the season, and we start talking about next year and things like that. But when people say this offense needs speed, and I think of what speed means in today's NFL, it's not just oh they need Deshaun Jackson to to run and they can catch, the, catch these fifty yard bombs. Like yeah, like that is a, a factor. But I think when you look at the best offenses in the league, and obviously you do every single week, it's as much about these horizontal stretches and that creating things down the field. You know, you get these jet sweeps and the bubble screens right, right. and all the other different actions, getting stretching defenses 53 and a third field wide to then open things up vertically. And that's an aspect where if you don't have speed, if you don't have that guy, it's tougher to try and generate those kinds or of Or if you don't have that guy, you need a great matchup player. Right, yep. And the, the Eagles don't have that guy either. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's something that I think we'll, we'll be talking about going into the off season for sure. Uh, you know, anything else you know, from an offensive offensive standpoint? I mean, we saw some good run. I thought honestly, the the first run of the game from Josh Adams, I think it went oh, yeah. seven eight yards. It was probably the best run I've seen from him. Notre Dame. Well, the lateral that. agility he showed yeah. on that run, we I don't think we've seen that before. Haven't seen it. No, it, it was. No. Uh, I thought that was something that was interesting. Obviously, only like a seven eight yard run, but uh, I thought that was uh, certainly good to see. Um, and I'm trying to look here through my notes. Uh, well, here's the big one. Dallas Goddard. Uh, yeah. We talked la- last week on the show. We, we sat here and we talked about how, you know, Goddard's looked good on film the last few weeks, even though the targets aren't there. Like, he, you can just see the way he moves. He looks comfortable. Yep. Obviously, from a blocking standpoint, it's always been there uh, since he's took the, taken the field this year. Huge game this week. The numbers could have and should have been even better. Um what what are we thinking here with Dallas well, Goddard and his Well, let me answer that this way, because you, before you mentioned Dallas Goddard, you said to me, any takeaways? And a couple of things did stand out to okay. me from a schematic standpoint, and I'd like to see more of this because I think these are the kinds of things they have to do. The Goddard 26-yarder in the fourth quarter, yep. which was arguably Carson's best throw of the game. Yep, the sale concept, the three-level stretch. Yeah, but what I really liked about it is it was to the boundary side of the field. Yeah. And... Against zone, three-man route concepts against zone to the boundary are really difficult to defend mm. because you just don't have enough bodies in zone coverage. Yep. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, that, that's a really cool concept. And I'd like to see you – know, th- those are the kinds of things I think they have to do because they can't line up and win matchups. Yep. Because what that eventually gave them, because you don't have enough bodies, is it gave them Goddard matched on a linebacker, Jalen Smith. Yep. And – you're going to take that. You're going to take that every time. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things. When I saw that, I was like, hey, that, that's a really nice concept, and I want to see more of that because that's what they have to do. They have to try to create that. Now, you can't do that every single time. Sometimes you have to win against man, and that's where they struggle. But that was just – I thought that was a real positive, that play. Okay. What about Goddard just in general? What were your thoughts? That I like Goddard out? a yeah. lot. Yep. I mean, you know, obviously that long touchdown that was called back – um, and I'm still trying to find the penalty, but that's, I guess, a conversation. Yeah, keep, for keep another, looking. Yeah. yeah, that's a conversation for another time. Um, 
you know, I, I think he has a chance to be a really, really good player. It's going And you talked about what's going to be discussed in the offseason, and a lot will be. It's going to be interesting to see with Ertz and Goddard because essentially they're, I think Goddard is a little more explosive than Zach. Yep. Um, you know, Zach's obviously terrific in the anywhere from 8 to 15-yard range, maybe 8 to 18-yard range. Uh, not really a vertical guy, whereas I think Goddard can give you a little more of that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, they played tw- uh, 12 personnel, 50% of the snaps yeah. yesterday. And we've started to see a little bit more. I thought we saw it on the opening drive, saw it throughout the game. 11 personnel sets, so one back, one tight end, with Goddard on the field instead of Ertz. We hadn't really seen too much of that early in the season. You're we've right. Prog- slowly seen more of that. We even saw some 12 personnel on Sunday when it was Goddard and Richard Rodgers. Right, right, and it was right. those run looks, and you saw some. So we're it also could be later in the season, and they're trying to give Ertz a few snaps off. It uh, could be know. that. I think also I, it, you almost kind of wonder, okay, are they Goddard's right. getting a little bit more comfortable? They can yeah. put a little bit more in his plate yeah. on a week-to-week basis, and I think you can speak to that a little bit as well. No, it does. It does. And he's – look, I'm not going to sit here and say he's now Travis Kelsey, but I think that he's a little more just – of an athlete and and it'll be interesting with an off season now as they coming up I assume I mean I guess they still are have a mathematical chance but it's slim of course. right yeah no they do um, they got to win out right right part. yep um but I think you know even if they do win out and they get in the playoffs and, and all that would be really good but but I think in the off season they'll take a look at Goddard and I think they'll really see some ways to use him because I think he's got really untapped talent here yeah I, I'm very very excited because I look there are teams that have multiple tight ends and, and make use right. of them I think they'll find ways to right. get both those guys out there and make the most of them uh, let's go to the defensive side obviously look it's a group that as we've talked about in recent weeks Certainly banged up in a lot of key areas. The secondary is banged up, and it's not the reinforcements aren't coming. This no. is this is what we're rolling with right now. Uh, you know, Razul Douglas, I thought probably had his best game overall. They played a lot of zone coverage over there, so they didn't put him in a lot of situations where he had to play straight man. They're limited. Yeah, they're limited because of who they're putting out there with their coverage concepts because they really can't match up man to man with quality wideouts. Yeah. And it's just the way it is. Yeah, so they, you saw a lot of him in cover three. You saw a lot of him in cover two. Did a nice job tackling. You know, yeah. did, did his job in the, right. in the construct of the coverage. You right. know, that's something. Look, the, the game against Dallas a few weeks ago, that was, I mean, that was got to be his low. You would hope that's his low point. Well, like, they also that was, played a lot of man in that game. Right. He got burned. He got, he got crushed in that game. <laughs> right, and, right. and really, it wasn't even just in, in man coverage because even like right. the, the screen at the end of the first half where he lost leverage and let the receiver get right. outside, like those are the plays you can't allow. And right. he did. So like every facet was so bad a few weeks ago. Now he comes back, and it was good to see him have that strong game. We were impressed watching live of the interception uh, that he had in the first half. When we watched the tape, it, it was equally impressive. No, I thought actually seeing the tape, it was it was a great job because, uh, I mean, obviously it was a concept, an offensive concept we see all the time. Yeah, it was a, a deep over route from trips to the to the field, and what they're doing on the backside where there's a single receiver is that single receiver then occupies and, and eats up the corner to that side. So what you're counting on is that no one is going to be in position to play that deep over out. Yep. It's going to have to be a linebacker underneath running with a wide receiver like Amari Cooper, and that's not going to work. I thought Douglas showed great awareness, great recognition. He had his eyes inside, had played with good technique and zone coverage, so he saw everything develop, was able to drop off the tight end and react to 
both Cooper and Prescott and made a really good interception. Yeah, I thought it was a really good job of him just going up and attacking the football. We see that's kind of been a strength of his yeah. game. Going, going back, back to, to West Virginia. Yeah, no question. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, make, made some critical tackles. You know, he made uh, – it was a third and long play in the, in the first half where uh, he comes downhill and he makes a tackle and stops short gain on third yep. down. And no, he forced, played well. Forced a long field goal, and yeah. they go, end up missing the field goal, and that was critical. The only, as we're saying, the only issue you face is he's not really a man corner. And now, can you get away with that if you had a really good man corner on the other side? You probably could, right? Because a lot of teams in the league that have solid defenses don't necessarily have two great man corners. Of course, but the Eagles don't have that right now, so yeah. it, it puts them in a bind. They didn't play too much man, obviously. They did not. But when they did, it typically was with the blitz. And, yeah. you know, there have been a lot of analysts out there that keep saying, you know, oh, well, you know, this Eagles defense, they need to blitz more. They need to blitz more. Uh, you probably want to look at this game and give you an attempt why right. blitzing isn't all. Obviously, no. blitzing can be good. But blitzing isn't always just the answer. No. I'll just send more bodies. No. They, they, they blitzed seven times against Dak Prescott here. Went five for six, 72 yards and a touchdown. Well, the one sack came on that bad snap late in the fourth right, quarter. Right, right, right. Uh, so that was the one sack. Every one of those catches, all five of them, went for 12-plus yards. Like, yeah. I mean, they just they got burned by the blitz. No, a lot the, of them were in man coverage. And the numbers suggest, as we've discussed before, that when the Eagles blitz, they're they're not very good. The, the numbers show that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something where – you you understand why because Dak has not been good under pressure for right. most of the season. He's one of the worst in the league under right. pressure, right. whether it's blitz or four man rush. Uh, so trying to get, keep him rattled it makes a lot of sense. Um, but you know, he credit to him. Maybe he burned the blitz right. in a big way. Uh, I'm trying to look here through my notes. The other big thing. Going to the defensive line, uh, Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett were outstanding and yep. counted for most of the production yeah. on the quarterback. And Brandon, just, and Brandon Graham looked like Brandon Graham yeah. in this game, too. They just play too many plays. I mean, that's part of the, you know, yeah. I mean, they played 100, snap, 100 snaps on film. Yeah. It's a lot of snaps. That's, it was like watching yeah. Texas Tech for I, <laughs> I know. Like, it's like, it's like, like when, I, when I start the college tape, as you do, too, and you want to watch a full game and you <laughs> see the number of plays, and all of a sudden you just, you know, you get a little depressed. You watch an offensive lineman from Texas Tech, you're like, oh, man, it's going to take me three hours. <laughs> it was, it's, it's a lot of plays, and, you know, it it goes to complementary football. You know, we're right. talking about the offense and, you know, and the defense. We've talked in the past about, you know, look, the you know the offense they start with they don't start with great field position the defense isn't getting a lot of turnovers so they're not helping and now the offense they can't stay on the field on third right. down so now you're seeing a lot of plays defensively it all plays a big part the defense did however come up with three turnovers in this game which right. was big and it obviously helped set up the first touchdown they got a big stop it that helped them get uh, the second touchdown plus territory I mean you you saw some some signs right. of life from this defense for sure and I think those guys up front uh, you know Fletcher and Michael Bennett for sure but then also I thought it was good I mean that Brandon Graham, I thought this was his best game, and he looked like himself in right. this game. Which was no, awesome. I thought their D-line, for the most part, played well. Um, you know, Although one thing was interesting, the Cowboys obviously converted a lot of third downs, yeah. and, and a lot of those third downs were third and very manageable. That yep. was one thing that stood out. Yep. You know, There are a lot of third and threes and third and fours. Yeah. Let's, uh, well, let's look ahead to this game here, Greg, against the L.A. Rams, because you know, as I mentioned, you know, when you look at all the best offenses in football right now, they're doing a great job not just with the vertical stretches down the field, but also with the horizontal stretches. I would say that the Rams are probably one of the best in the league at doing that. Well, the Rams have a defined offensive profile, Fran, and I know you've seen it. You know, yep. It's it's in an era where everybody speaks about uh, different personnel packages and all kinds of different formations and being super creative. The Rams really aren't any of that. 
The Rams line up with 11 personnel, meaning one back, one tight end, and three wide receivers on almost 97% of their offensive snaps. Ben McAdoo got fired last year, and one of the big reasons was exactly what you just said. Right, because they were over 90%, and everybody said, oh, you can't play like that. Right. Yeah, well, the Rams played like that last year, and they're playing more so this year. Yeah. And until their most recent game, I think they put up 30 maybe in every game, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. You right. Yep. This was by far the worst performance. Right, right. Bay. Yeah. So they do that, and then their run game is really not multiple at all. It's outside zone, occasional inside zone. We've seen a few times some other concepts, yeah, but, mix it in, yep. but rarely. So it's an outside zone run game. And then they use jet sweep action. Yep. And they have what we call minus tight, nasty splits with their wide receivers, whatever term you want to use. But they're close to the formation. Now, everything I just said isn't 100%. Nothing is. But that's a clear foundational staple. You turn on Rams tape, and you will be guaranteed to see that a good percentage of the time. And that's how they play. And Jared Goff is under center a ton. In today's NFL, he's under center. I don't have the numbers, but he may be under center more than any other quarterback in the league. My guess is he probably is. Yeah. yeah. And when you look at those tight splits, I mean, we've talked about all the different you know positives uh, factors from using those tight splits in the past. But for this offense in particular, what is the main objective by lining those receivers tight to the formation like that? Well, to me, there are two elements to that. One's in the run game. One's in the pass game. In the run game, it allows your receivers to be factors in blocking, filling safeties, you know, alley players in the run game. And, and their receivers block very well, by the they way. They do, yep. Two, in the pass game, it creates space. It almost in some ways mimics the, co- mimics the college game where the hash marks are s- so wide that the wide side of the field in college gives you so much space. By bringing your receivers closer – it creates more space for them to work. And the thing is, is that corners almost are forced to line up outside of the receivers. Yep. And off. And off. Yeah. Correct. That's a big part of it. Correct. Because those receivers are going to have two-way goes, so it's almost like playing the slot. If you're not used to doing that as a corner, you're not going to be pressed up on the line of scrimmage. And we've seen guys up and down the league that have tried to do this against those kind of looks and, and get roasted. Right. So you're giving your receivers free access, which gets them into their routes immediately without any disruption, and the timing of the pass game, which is so critical, and particularly for a quarterback like Jared Goff, who's really a timing-rhythm player, it, it really, it, it just, that's what their pass game is all about. 60 completions of 20-plus yards, second in the league right now, mm-hmm. uh, this L.A. Rams yep. offense. And look, this pass game aside with Chicago, and we'll talk about that game in particular uh, in a little bit. You look at Jared Goff, uh, you know, they set things up very nicely for him. He's made some outstanding throws yep. this season, and, you know, he's able to make those plays. But everything is very well defined. Everything is very well structured. Sean McVay does a great job uh, both pre, you know, uh, a lot's been written about what they do for him pre-snap, but you know, at the snap of the ball, off that play, like the great thing about play action, I think, is that it almost it helps your quarterback stay in rhythm, and it also makes things I don't want to say simpler, but it makes things more well defined more often than not. Well, they present things very clearly for Jared Goff. Yeah, but let's talk about the play action because the one thing about outside zone run action mm. is it gets defensive linemen initially moving laterally. Yep. So they have to redirect a pass rush. And that extra half second is all you need in a pass game for Jared Goff to be secure in the pocket. 
And that's critical. That's why that outside zone, you combine the outside zone with the jet sweep going the opposite way. And what you're doing is you're minimizing the pass rush and expanding the defense horizontally. Mm. And that creates an awful lot of space. Yeah, and when you're you're dealing with that as a linebacker and as a safety, yep. you know that's that's spells a lot of issues for yep. you, no question. In the uh, pre-snap phase, we've talked about that with other offenses. One other quick point. Yeah, very good with selective use of tempo. Yes, that's a good point. They're really good at that. Yep. So you know they'll they'll get up to the line. Sometimes they'll snap it quick. Sometimes. Uh, McVeigh will still be talking in Goff's earpiece because he can do that until there's 15 seconds left in the play clock. Yep. But they'll get up to that line of scrimmage selectively and snap the ball, and you better be ready to play. Let's talk about them from a personnel standpoint. You mentioned that they are a heavy, heavy, heavy 11 personnel team. Yep. So one back, one tight end, three receivers. From the tight end standpoint, Higby definitely more the receiver. Everett, uh, or I'm sorry, no. Higby more the blocker. Everett more the yep. receiver. Uh, Everett's got the ability to be a mispatch guy. Higby is a pretty good pass catcher, though. Uh, was they that both in college yeah. were split guys? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Everett a little more so. Yep, no yeah. question. Everett spent a lot of time in the slot. And then when uh, you know you look at these receivers, they lose Cooper Cup. Uh, and that's and, a loss. Yes, uh, Josh Reynolds has played, and he's played. I think he played 100 percent of the snaps on Sunday. Yep. Um, Talk about what you've seen from these, just this trio of Reynolds, but then also Robert Woods, and then, of course, Brandon Cooks. Well, Brandon Cooks is a really interesting player for that offense because I think he, he presents more flexibility and versatility than, let's say, Sammy Watkins does because I think Cooks can do more things. Um, and I think he fits that offense really, really well. He's predominantly the X receiver. Now, not 100%, but he's predominantly the X, the single receiver to the boundary. Now, Robert Woods, this offense is made for him yeah. because he's he's a slot receiver, but he can also technically be an outside receiver when they're in minus splits, but he's still close to the formation. Yep. But he's a really good route runner. He works the middle of the field between the hashes, between the numbers exceptionally well, and he's very deceptive with run after catch. He's not explosive, but he's but he's there's a certain quick deceptive quickness to him. No, no question. Now we're looking at this offensive line. The guy that stands out most to me is Roger Saffold, the left guard. Ah. He's the first, the first play of the and game. An Indiana University grad, by that's the way. Right. Yeah, Hoosier. yeah. Uh, the, a Hoosier. Yeah, that's right. So the le- he's the left guard, a former tackle, played both tackle spots earlier in his career. I think he was a early second-round pick. Uh, Saffold is a guy that gets after people in the run game. Pretty nimble. He's played a lot of tackle in the NFL, too. Yes, no question. I think when you look at him, uh, to me, he's been the most impressive offensive lineman on film for them. But that group as a whole got worked by Chicago. Sunday. Yeah. That was a big part of why they, they struggled to get anything going offensively. Yeah. Well, it was a combination, too, because they're very much timing rhythm-based. And with what the Bears do on the back end, they confused Goff. There were a number of times where Goff was clearly uncertain as to what he was looking at, and he got a little unsettled in the pocket. Because as good as that offense has been, I would make the argument that Jared Goff is still – at his core, at this point in his career, a primary read quarterback. Yeah. At definitely. his core. Yep. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't plays that we could pull up where he went to a secondary read or a third read, obviously, but I think the way that offense is set and the way he's built and structured with his smooth throwing motion, he's a rhythm player, and he's much more of a primary read quarterback than anything else at this point. Yeah, I would agree. And, and when, you get, when you're that kind of player and you do get thrown off rhythm and you're not— He was unsettled. Very much so. Looked very uncomfortable yeah. on Sunday. With, with, I mean, look, it was cold. 
And that defense, they, I mean, they get out with all the guys like Akeem Hicks and Cleo Mack and Leonard Floyd and all those guys. Uh, they, they got after right. Jared Goff in that offense. Uh, let's flip the script. Let's look at over this that Wade Phillips defense. Three four scheme in name, but not really. But not not your you know. The it's a one gap three, scheme. Four team, yes. So tell Donald tell is really a, a three technique player in yep. the scheme. Lines up to the weak side. So if yeah. you line up with a tight end, which they changed last year, side. he lined up more often than not to the strong I side. I thought that was the case. Yeah. I didn't go back yeah. and look. They 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 that. changed that this year. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, do you think that's more of a Sue? You know, just because of the addition of Sue, or, or what do you think was the reasoning behind that? Boy, that's a great question, and. uh one I'd have to think about, so I don't have a great answer right now. Um, normally, all I'll say is this. Normally, the better pass rushers in what are essentially one-gap schemes, yep. normally they line up to the weak side. Right. Normally. Yeah. I mean, that's where they've got uh, yeah. Dante Fowler is, is right. playing off the edge right. right now for them off that weak side. Uh, Samson at uh, Buchan is playing on the Who's strong side. Who's not a side. bad player. No. He, no. He's, he's flashed at times this yeah. year. And Michael Brockers is the strong yeah. side defensive end on that side. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a one-gap scheme like the Eagles. Those guys are going to fire up field. Right. Uh, that, like I said, they did add in Dominic Su, and, and he's got that ability to line up, up and down the line. He sure does. I mean, he lines up in multiple spots across the defensive line. And – while he's not explosive like Donald, he's uh, methodically explosive in that sense because of mm. his strength. And we've seen him line up numerous times as a wide nine defensive end when they go to their sub, whether it's nickel or dime, because they do play dime. Mm. Yep. And he can rush the quarterback from the wide nine alignment. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's beaten tackles yeah. routinely this yeah. year for for, for, from, uh, for some sacks. He's now. got a little bit of that country boy strength. Yes. You know, he's... He's just methodically explosive. Yes, and when you look at this from a, a personnel standpoint in the back end, uh, they did get uh, Akeem Talib back. Yep. They were missing Peters for a little bit there as well. Peters has not played great football overall. Yeah, well, why, what has stood out to you most about that? I haven't like watched their defense well, over the season. particularly earlier in the season, uh, he was he's always been a cluer and a guesser. Right, for yeah. Philadelphia fans, if they remember someone like Asante Samuel, okay, yep. who's a cluer and a guesser, you know, an off-coverage corner who like to read routes and read the quarterback, and you, those guys can get burned every once in a while. Now, sometimes they get burned and it's incomplete and you don't think about it, but if it's burned and it's complete, you look bad. And there were a number of those plays earlier in the season with Marcus Peters. And the safeties, LaMarcus Joyner and John Johnson, seemed to be pretty interchangeable. It seemed like Joyner probably was... Uh, used a little bit more high. But yeah, and, and Johnson's a little more in the box. Yeah, but uh, you yeah. saw examples of yeah. both guys in, in either slot. Uh, they got Tlaib back. They had been starting Sam Shields, who's 37 years old. Well, what they were doing when Tlaib was out, which was really interesting, is they were playing Troy Hill in their base and their nickel, and Sam Shields would come in in their dime, which right. was very interesting. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it was an interesting uh, situation there. And then at linebacker, you've got Mark Barron, the former safety, Corey Littleton, uh, now the starter there in the middle linebacker spot. Yeah. And then they bring in Christian, number 41, is their dime. Right. Because yep. they do play a lot of dimes, certainly on third down. Third down, down. Yep. Yeah. Sure. And Nickel Rob- Nickel Roby Coleman. He's uh, been their slot for quite a while. Yeah. So, uh, from a number standpoint, this defense can absolutely be had. I mean, yards per carry, they're worst in the league. They, they all allow over five yards a carry. Uh, worst in the league in long touchdowns. I and mean, they've allowed 12 touchdowns of 20-plus yards. Yeah. They're one of the worst in giving up the big play. Third Arguably, down, they're not very good either. Yeah, it's, they can be run on, which is weird given the quality of the individual talent. But yeah. they, they've been run on all year. Has, has there been like one theme over the course of studying them that you've been able to point to? The only thing that sticks out in my mind is that guys who I don't think should get moved so easily get moved, mm. which 
you know, I, I can't, I don't have a reason as to why, but that's what happens on tape. Right. Yeah. Well, you it's, know. it's going to be an interesting matchup for this team because, look, the, the Rams are coming off a very tough loss. They were on the road. Uh, they're not going to be too happy. And McVay's going to look yes. at the Eagles secondary and think that they're going to score 35. Yeah. I mean, and he's going to attack that secondary. And, and who wouldn't? I mean, that's. That's what you do. That's what they did to, to Minnesota a few weeks ago. You know, not a few weeks ago now, a couple months ago now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they've gone up against good defenses yeah. and, and, you know, and scored a lot of points. It's I mean, a, this, a is, this is a game that the Eagles have to be very careful, careful early because the Rams, you know this will be a tough week of practice for the Rams. They'll go back to basics. They obviously got a ton of talent on offense. You know, they'll be back in L.A. where it'll probably be nice weather. And nice and comfortable for Jared Goff. And, um, you know, this could be one of those games the Eagles have to be very careful that you don't blink in it and they're down 17 3, and, mm. and we've only started the second quarter. Yeah, well, the, you, I would imagine what you're trying to do is really the, the formula that worked, that worked for you coming into this past game, which was control the clock. You know, that means being efficient on third down. Right. Uh, that means being able to run the football and, you know, be able to run it efficiently. Um, you know, move the chains, control the clock. That the, the Cowboys had the ball for 45 minutes in this game. I know. I mean, that's yeah. that's tough to win that. And way. the key thing, though, is is the third down is is they have to be manageable because you start getting into third and eight, third and nine against this pass rush. That's where you might have an issue. Yeah, I mean, that's we've talked about that early in the yeah. season. It, it's it's tough to be consistent when you're facing third and six, and third and seven, and third and eleven, right? And third and no, you're right. It's it's tough, but uh, Greg, we'll be watching this game here with you Sunday night. Uh, we'll do doing a lot of breakdowns on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can watch those in between break, during commercial breaks uh, for some of those big plays that happened during the game. But until then, we will see you next week right here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Line the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Great stuff from Greg, and you could follow him just like I do on Twitter at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the best way, and right now there's plenty of openings, Go to our Apple Podcast page or our Stitcher page and give us a rating and leave us that comment. We've got a great comment this week from Baltimore Eagles fan 90 who left a five-star review and a comment. Again, the last comment right now. So if you want to get on the show next week, now's your time. On our Apple Podcast page saying how this, this should be a much longer show for the fans each week. And be more. I do appreciate that. We try to bring you the best info we can in our podcast each week. So thanks to your note and all the rest of you out there for your continued support of this this show, and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep the show going. Earlier, I told you we would dive into one of these Rams receivers, and that player is second-year wideout Josh Reynolds. As I reveal my notes on him coming out of Texas A&M last year, he's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Josh Reynolds, six foot two and seven eighths, just under six foot three, 194 pounds, so a little bit skinny. He was the second team All SEC pick for the Aggies after starting his career at a junior college, and he went the JUCO route out of high school because he didn't get any D1 offers to play football. He actually only had one partial scholarship offer to attend Texas A&M but it was on the on a track scholarship, and so not even to play football. So he went to Tyler Junior College, went from there to College Station, and then 
went on to become a three-year starter for Kevin Sumlin in his version of the air raid offense. He did primarily line up to the far right of the formation, so spent most of his time running routes from that side. Did move around a little bit, especially in his last year there, but this is a tall kid with that wiry frame, again, under 200 pounds for almost six foot three. That's pretty light. He had a couple of different releases that he would try and work in against press coverage, but he relied more so on his size to try and run through contact early in the down at the college level than he did on his speed or his technique. But when he did reach the open field, it did not take him long to get to top speed. He is a glider, flashes surprising ability to get on top of corners for a taller guy, smooth athlete that got in and out of breaks pretty well. He improved as a route runner every year at Texas A&M. And while he still needed work, the arrow was certainly pointing up on him coming out of school. He tracked the ball as well as anybody downfield and showed ability to adjust to it mid-route to the flight to the football. He was one of the best contested catch receivers in that class, consistently showing that he could go up and win jump balls in all areas of the field. He definitely had a my ball mentality, maximized his catch radius, making grabs away from his frame with defensive backs on his back. He had Velcro hands. He could find it late and reel it in with ease. And he had some yards after catch potential thanks to that deceptive athleticism with the ball in his hands. Now, from a negative standpoint, he would fall step on his releases against off coverage. That's one of my pet peeves. And he against press, he tend to come off the ball pretty high and he'd give corners a very wide target to jam up early in the down. Too often he would try and widen his release to avoid that and against a press corner if you're going to try and widen that release inside or outside you're going to throw off your timing with the quarterback. You're not going to be able to get to your landmark in your route. So too often he would try and do that and I thought that his you know he struggled to kind of hold the red line. What's the red line? That's that imaginary line between the numbers and the sideline that receivers have to try and stay on downfield when they're running those vertical routes. And that's where his lack of size and play strength would show up a little bit. Still feeling his way as a route runner. I wasn't crazy about him as a route runner coming out. The arrow certainly was pointing up, like I said earlier, but still had a ways to go. Didn't always run routes hard as a clear-out guy in their two- and three-man route concepts. That was something that kind of bothered me. And talking to him at the Combine... He described himself to me as a finesse player who always wanted to go deep. So naturally, I started to have some concerns about his ability and his willingness to be a dirty work player and kind of fight through contact early in the down and be that guy at the catch point. But, you know, overall, this guy, he reminded me, the guy he actually reminded me of, and I put this in his evaluation, is former Giants wide receiver, briefly a former Eagles wide receiver in Ruben Randall, who I really liked for a lot of the same reasons coming out of LSU back, I think it was 2012. Like Randall, I thought Reynolds was a good-sized kid, some speed down the field, showed flashes, but overall lacked consistency at that stage of his career. And, you know, Reynolds was a big target, reliable hands, very good ball skills. I thought he showed flashes of being a really good prospect, just not consistently. You know, could he take the next step as a route runner? Could he be more consistent beating press coverage? Is he tough enough mentally and physically to be more than just a role player? There there was some buyer beware there, but physically, I liked his talent. Now, Reynolds fell to the fourth round, which was lower than a guy with his talent should have gone. But I think a lot of that had to do with a lot of the questions I had about him. You know, the flashes were really good, but could he put it all together? Remember, the two biggest questions I had were as a route runner and beating press coverage. And with the first part, He's gotten a bit better. He's gotten a little bit more crisp, creating his own separation. He still has that smoothness. He's got, again, he's got that surprising speed to work vertically. And as far as the second part, beating press coverage, well, you know what I love about that McVay, about the way that McVeigh uses his receivers. Greg and I talked about it earlier, those tight splits. 
you know, what's the one thing I brought up? It forces those defensive backs to back off in coverage. So Reynolds does not face nearly as much press coverage as you would think, especially compared to most NFL teams. He just doesn't. So, you know, he lines up tight to the formation, teams back off. And when you factor that in with how often he lines up in the bunch, again, a situation where defensive backs are going to back off, they're not going to be pressed up at the line of scrimmage. They have pretty much completely negated one of the biggest concerns for this kid entering the league, and they did the same exact thing with Cooper Cup last year, and that's that's good coaching. You know, you know what your guys do well, put them in situations to succeed, but just as importantly, know what your guys don't do well and don't put them in situations to fail. You know, the best coaches are able to find ways to do that, and I think when it comes to the evaluation process with college kids and transitioning to the NFL – it's very, very tough to do it from the outside, not being affiliated with a team. You know, when I'm watching players, I'm not just focusing on what you know he, they would do here in Philadelphia, but just how he would play in a vacuum for any team in the NFL. It can be hard to do it that way in some ways, but you want to try and take that into account. If a corner really struggles to run vertically, and I'll, I'll watch him, and me personally, like you know, I like my corners to be able to run a little bit. You know, if if you're a team that likes to play a lot of press man, that's probably going to be a deal breaker for you, and you're not going to be very high on that guy. But if you're a team that plays more zone coverage and more off coverage, you could probably give up a little bit of speed and be okay. So you're going to have that guy a little bit higher on your board. If you have a tight end, you know, go to the other side. If you have a tight end that can't block, but he's a dynamic receiver, you're not going to line up with him in line and run behind him 20 times a game. You'll do it every once in a while, but it's not going to be a consistent staple uh, of your offense. You're not going to consistently put him in that position. It's those little things that are very, very important to include in the evaluation and just kind of keep in mind no matter who you're evaluating for. So certainly a fun part of the process for me. Well, great stuff this week from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And one more time, take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment. You'll be the first one at the very top. So now's the time to get in. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there that I can answer here on the show next week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.